The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to those expressing them and do not necessarily reflect the OSA Foundation Incorporated or any other group or individual. This podcast may contain dialogue or subject material that could be considered for mature audiences only. All aspects of how you play the game and the OSIP Foundation Incorporated are protected by copyright and other state and federal intellectual property laws. Unauthorized use without the express written consent of the OSIP Foundation Incorporated is strictly prohibited. If you're interested in sponsoring how you play the game, please email us at podcast at osipfoundation.org. Your sponsorship may be tax deductible. Okay, in the name of good sportsmanship, let's start this episode by listing all the types of people that we meet. Oh, no. <laughs> what, too soon? <laughs> Is this something we shouldn't be doing? You know who I, you know who I don't like? Who's that? People who put their left blinker on right before they turn. That's instead annoying. Of, instead of, you know, forecasting it right. beforehand. Right. That's, that's worse than the people who leave the blinker on the whole time right. and don't realize that it's on. Yeah. That always reminds me of that old Jet Moto commercial for that first generation PlayStation game. Oh, yeah, yeah. Where the old lady's playing, the, the and, and the guy literally in the game gets off and starts yelling at her through the screen. And at the very, very end, she, he looks back and goes, and turn off the blinker! Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. That just... That take you back? Yeah. my the, the entire summer, I think after my freshman year of high school, was based around Jet Moto, I think. Mm. For the most part, because... My, my my one friend borrowed a PlayStation from another kid in school for that right. summer. And whenever he was home, which was, you know, a large chunk of the time, mm -hmm. we would just get together at his place and play all sorts of games and whatnot. But Jet Moto, for whatever reason, was the in thing at that time. Yeah, you no, know, I remember. And, and you, you, you mixed in GoldenEye and, mm -hmm. you know, I don't think Bomberman 64 was out yet. I don't think it was. Was it? What year was this? So this would have been 1998? No, I think... Was it out? I think it was out. Okay. Did that come out like early, like spring of 1998? Along with like 1080 snowboarding and... I thought 1080 snowboarding... Ten, t I thought I was... I thought that was before. Well, the whole system... <laughs> when The system came out in what? This, like fall 96 christmas 96 the playstation no the, oh, the uh, n64? n64 i thought it was 95 it might have been 96 um hold on i'm looking it up okay these are obviously the important things that we worry um, about on this podcast while sean is looking this stuff up september 26 1997 is when bomberman 64 okay. came out okay yeah and then, and then, 1080 snowboarding. I think was before that. Was it before that? I okay. think. 1080 snowboarding. These are obvious. Oh, actually, no. It was. Oh, in Japan, it was 1998. In North America, it was April first, 1998. So it was after. This was snowboarding. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, these, Those, are, these are obviously very important. Look, I don't care what year it is. It was just such a great decade, the it was, 90s. It, it really was. It yeah. was. I think back to, I, I think of the nostalgia of my, uh, of, of those times and 
Oh, I miss them. The good old days. Yes. <laughs> when you see when when you do that, you sound a little bit more authentic. When I do it, I feel like I'm about to start doing my Herman Munster laugh, <laughs> <laughs> which is also kind of the same sound I make when I see a kitty or a puppy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Fred Gwynn, rest in peace. Yeah. What is a Ute? He was an author, right? Fred Gwynn. Yeah. I'm sure he put out. Some, listen, if when you play Herman Munster and the Judge from. Uh, my cousin Vinny. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you wrote a book somewhere in there. I'm pretty sure he was an author. Let me so, look it up. Okay, he's looking it up again. While Sean is looking that up, welcome to How You Play the Game, the official podcast of the Osip Foundation. Yours truly, Jack Furlong, with you as we talk to you about what's going on as far as the world of sportsmanship is concerned. This is the first episode of the month of April. The month, uh, the month, the the year is 2022. So glad you can be with us. As always, you can check us out online. Our web address is osipfoundation.org. The email address is podcast at osipfoundation.org if you want to get in touch with the show. Uh, on social media, we're at facebook.com slash Foundation. Twitter and Instagram are both at Foundation. hashtag how you play the game. Select episodes of this podcast are available on YouTube. Our, our apparel store is at Bonfire. Just search Osip Foundation. And our book on sportsmanship, a critical reader and handbook is available now on Amazon in hardcover, paperback and Kindle edition. I don't remember if I have missed anything in this long extended opening, but across from me, as always, is the producer engineer, Mr. Sean Ryan. Sean, hello. How are you? Fred Gwynn was an author. There you go. Just how many books did he write? I don't know. Okay. I can't read nor count. So you, you count to four for a living. Like me. Yeah, and funny enough, most of the music I write is in five. What is wrong with you? <laughs> Why are you the way that you are? You want the short list or the long list? <laughs> well, how much time we'll have, we got? We'll have a whole, we'll devote the whole podcast. I have a whole litany. Are we going to? We'll have the whole, we'll have a litany podcast. Whereas I do the litany of saints, you do the litany of why you are the way that you are. We have to divide this up into three separate parts of one podcast. It's like the music production, music business podcast. Right. When we had, when we basically took up two months of the show. Mm-hmm. Oh man. Good times. Yeah. Yeah. We should do that again. I'm sure we will. Yeah. I'm sure we will. Um, allergies bothering you yet? You know what? A couple of weeks ago, or a couple of weekends ago, I had such a bad attack. It was the first time it really got warm. Yeah. And then it came, came back down, down the, again. Yeah. I got such a bad attack. I thought I had a cold. Yeah. That's how bad it was. And, um, you know, I tested negative. I didn't have a temperature or anything, but it just hit me like a ton of bricks. And I actually had to go to urgent care really to get an EpiPen because, <laughs> because I was having trouble breathing. breathing. Wow. And I never had, I never, never had one before. That's nuts. So, um, it was, uh, it was quite the adventure. It's, so it's also crazy how our society has changed where if you're under the weather in any shape, way, shape or form, now the the thing to do is quick test for COVID. Well, you know, you and know? and not to not to make this into a thing, but a lot of kids are getting out severe allergies, mm-hmm. colds, and stomach flus because they've worn the mask for so long. Yep, and they've been secluded they, for so long. They they don't have the necessary bacteria yep. and vi- and viral load to build a natural immunity yep. to it. So the things that so whilst marginally or debatably marginally protecting against covid 
uh, they have inadvertently lost the ability to fight the things that they normally they would be normally able to fight. Would getting so that's why we're seeing these super colds and these stomach viruses yeah. going around. It's Rob Peter to pay Paul in this in this case, right? You know, you we we think that. COVID is so bad, not to say that it's good, mm-hmm. but in our defense against that, everyone is now, for lack of a better term, getting sick. Right. You know? And, and their immune systems are getting weakened. Right. Which, in fact, <laughs> then becomes more likely to be infected with COVID. <laughs> See, and this is why I have, you know, I, I don't mean to toot my own horn, but as a germaphobe myself, why even I have been saying from the start of this whole thing, like... This that's not how this works. Yeah. That's not how any of this works. Right. You know? It's, well, it's, masks are not a long term solution. No. They're you know, vaccines and boosters and herd immunity is. Um and I don't know. I just feel like eventually we, we have to build up our our immunity yeah. again and and get get over this and people need to get their vaccines and 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 their boosters yeah. and and let's get going with this. <laughs> That's and, and, you know and that kind of not that this is the topic of the podcast because mm-hmm. we obviously have something else that we would like to discuss. But um, you know people used to ask me all the time pre COVID like you carry around hand sanitizer you know you're just you know creating like super germs and super colds and mm-hmm. super bugs and I say I you y- you don't quite get it do you mm-hmm. in that. Our bodies are inundated with intruders, viruses, bacteria, whatever, um, that 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 that, we're, that are not supposed to be in there all the time. Right. Okay. Good, bad, indifferent—it doesn't matter. It's always coming in, and our immune systems are made to fight that off and battle it depending upon mm-hmm. what the intruder is. You know, obviously the cells have a certain memory and whatnot. So T cells. Right. The 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 hand sanitizer and the washing of hands and all the good hygiene practices are more about fighting off things that shouldn't be in there in the first place, not fighting off the good stuff that's going to naturally come in anyway. You know, you your your mm-hmm. respiratory system is going to you know breathe in things all the time. Right. Okay? This is more about the stuff on your hands that you can control and what, mm-hmm. you know, and so it's there's a reason. Right. You know that that this is the way that this is. I just noticed something completely random. Is that Goldfinger 64 in your N64? Yes, the one it that is. You worked on? I didn't realize that they had a physical game for yes. it. Yes. Okay. Uh, Sarah got that for me for my birthday last year. That's awesome. And um, it actually plays. Does it? Yeah. And it's pretty it's, good? It's really good. Okay. It's very difficult, though. Oh, well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For those I hear who- the music is really nice, too. Yeah, that's because you wrote it, you, 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 you shameless self-promoter you. <laughs> Me? Yes. Look at the yeah, pot exactly. calling the tea kettle black. <laughs> yep. No, that's me, all right. For those of you who don't know, it's just since we were speaking of video games, right. okay, we all know GoldenEye, mm-hmm. the, the great world-changing video game for mm-hmm. the Nintendo 64 that was based off of the Pierce Brosnan James Bond movie of the same name and how it revolutionized gaming. Mm-hmm. Well, they create they and I'm using they very very mm-hmm. loosely created a a a 
parody game, shall we say? A mod. A mod, okay, called Goldfinger 64, which Mm -hmm. basically does to the movie, the 1964 movie Goldfinger, Mm -hmm. what GoldenEye did to the movie of the same name. So now you've got a Goldfinger video game Mm -hmm. that is very similar to the movie. Very similar, yeah. Okay, and Sean wrote the music Mm -hmm. for this game. Yeah, it was a fun project. And the funny thing about it was you were so confined to using the technology of the time that the files that that I created for this game had to be so small, yet I had to pack so much musicality into them and uh, the guy who, for whom I was working, was uh, a good friend of ours from college, and uh, he's like, "Yeah, these got to be smaller." I'm like, "I can't. They're like they need to be like kilobits, wow, size, because they're MIDI files." Right. But anyway, so they it worked in the end. But man, that was uh, it's probably about two hours of music. Wow, I had to write. And this game has made the rounds mm-hmm. on the interweb. Yeah, it's got it's okay. got a pretty big cult following. Yeah, it's you- not it's not really mainstream as Goldeneye was, but. Um, One of the things I was doing during the pandemic, other than just trying to maintain what semblance of my sanity I had, uh, was, you know, you go on YouTube and you can see these video game streamers mm-hmm. basically play these games that are these mods. Mm-hmm. And they're Oh, all, Goldfinger's up there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the one I always watch is uh, Grassloo. Yep. So, so is, I don't know, is he, is he or is she? I think it's a he. he? Okay, so Grasslu uh, does this, does all of this stuff with mm-hmm. all of these Bond video games, mm-hmm. and and that was one of them. And he plays it directly on the computer, yeah. so it's very smooth. It looks really good. Um, yeah, and and uh, the soundtrack is on YouTube yep. as well. Yeah, it's a very good soundtrack. Very yeah. much enjoy that soundtrack. Thank you. Uh, it you know, and because and what it does is what I like about it is it takes a lot of the same sounds that GoldenEye used the mm-hmm. video game and reorchestrates it with a Goldfinger type. Like a style. Exactly. Yeah, it's yeah. not as it's not as synthesized as Goldfinger. You, GoldenEye, you, it's more orchestral. Right, you drew from that movie soundtrack yeah. in the same way that they drew from the GoldenEye soundtrack. Because yeah. Eric Serra's score for GoldenEye mm-hmm. was very synthesized. Yep. You know, and, and so when they were writing the music for the original GoldenEye video game, obviously it came out, you know, from with, John Barry ex- style. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it was, it was very, it was very, very well. Done. And some of those other mods, I know they, I think they have a tomorrow never dies mod. Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah. One. It, it didn't get the same play. Okay. Um, but you know, people, I didn't realize there was such an industry and by industry it's, it's, it's a cult thing. There's not actual mm-hmm. money transferred here, right. but people make these custom GoldenEye levels with mm-hmm. their own stories. GoldenEye Vault is yeah. a website where, yeah, so my um, my friend Mitch Kleiman, mm-hmm. who uh, who uh, did all of these, um, is, uh, I mean, he did a majority of the Goldfinger game. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he had about eight or nine other people helping him on it, myself included, but I mean, brilliant, yeah. like what he was able to do with everything. And um, he created the whole engine yeah. and <laughs> just went off of it um, and has done so much. Um, but yeah, it was awesome working with him, even though he was very 
particular about yeah. certain things. Um, for <laughs> one one funny story, and I mean it's out now, so we can right. talk about it. Um, the the in Goldfinger sixty four the ranch scene. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, I want to make it like ragtimey okay. with banjo because that was what it was like yeah, in, the, in movie. the movie. Yeah, and he's like, No, I don't want any ragtime in it. And I'm like, Well, I'm gonna do it anyway. <laughs> Too bad. Too so bad. so I you want I the mustache put, on or off? So <laughs> off. Too, too bad. bad. So I actually, what I did was I, I still had the banjo riff, but no like rhythm in the background. It was like no like steady rhythm. So it was partially there and he never caught on until nice. it was too late. Um, and then something else that I don't know why he didn't do this, but in the Fort Knox scene, mm-hmm. you know how you like, you can drive a tank in the streets yeah. of, of Goldfinger, a mm-hmm. golden eye. Well, my my buddy Kyle and I came up with, who also worked on like some level design for the game came up with the idea to make the truck with the laser on top drivable, drivable. okay and that would have been amazing yeah and and Mitch was like no 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 one's going to like that i'm like are you kidding me do you know how many tank <laughs> levels there are in the original golden eye that people enjoy the streets the yeah. runway uh-huh. i mean yeah, and I, I, I was like, that would be so cool if yeah. you could mount, you could drive the truck with the laser on it. Yeah. Like, that would be amazing. People, but. people, I mean, because remember, you take liberties in these games, you know, yeah. sometimes. So that would have, that would have been so, And so there were fun. some comments in the YouTube, like, uh, you know, some comments in the YouTube, I think the Grassloo com- um, uh, playthrough where there were, some people were like, where's the... It would be so cool if we could drive the truck with the laser on. And it. you're all looking at him and I'm like, just like you see, hmm, interesting. Yeah, but yeah. you know what? Aside, you know, there were disagreements left and right, but the 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 point is that it was fun to work on. It was a great project, and uh, I would do it all over again. Um, do they don't. I mean, with all these mods that are getting played on the computer, mm-hmm. do they have? You know the the technology to plug an N sixty four controller into that. Yeah, okay. no, that's how they're playing. That's how they're playing. Yeah, so okay. so um, a lot of times what they'll do, I don't know the I don't know the the one hundred percent of the process, but you can port the game onto the N sixty four and okay. play it via cartridge. Interesting. Or, or you can plug it in directly too. Okay. Um, but the engine. Uh, can also be played on the computer, okay, as well. I, w- I just wonder if the if the com- it runs a lot smoother on the, on computer, the computer, right? Yeah, yeah. It, to me, it would make sense to say, okay, if I could port the N sixty four controller onto the computer somehow, you can. That would probably make it a lot easier. Yeah, there are a lot of dude, there are a lot of doodads and connections and adapters that you yeah. can get. Um, Turning that into a USB. Yeah, you know. I mean, yeah, it's. I don't know how great. I don't know how great they work. I've never tried it myself since I have a Mac, um, but I'm sure in some universe, it is possible to hook up an N64 controller to a Mac. Well, when I get rich, okay, that's what we're doing. When? When I get rich. Okay, good. Yeah. All right. We're going we're gonna to take a week during the summer sometime and just... Only a week? I mean... I mean well, the week what? is just to, to make sure that the technology works. Okay. After that, then it's like, you know, a year plus. I'll call Mitch. We can... Yeah. Get all to get together. I got a big, I got a big enough computer screen for the PC anyway, though, mm-hmm. where I can make that. Yeah. Work. So yeah, no, it was a great project, a lot of fun. Um, if you guys want to check it out, Goldfinger sixty four, um, it is available on cartridge. 
I think I think Sarah got it from Etsy. Okay. I want to say. Um, but And they're not they're not shutting this down or anything or No. I mean, it's I think enough of it is for free. Okay. Where they're we're not they're not really profiting off of it at all. I, I mean, it's just exposure, really. Right. Well, I think of like the um you know, they were remaking GoldenEye, forgetting which engine, uh, you know, for what was it, the twenty fifth anniversary mm-hmm. of the of the video game mm-hmm. and Eon Productions uh issued a cease and desist. Mm-hmm. You know, and and they were even coming back with, "We're not making money off of this. This is all right. for fun and whatnot." Yeah. And they still cease and desist. I think Goldfinger sixty four has enough of a cult following where no one is seriously profiting off of it, okay. and it's. I mean, I I don't think it's really doing much harm. I mean, I think. Eon Productions is still doing A-OK. Yeah. And that's, again, I'm not condoning copyright infringement or, you know, into Robert, you know, theft of intellectual property. But, you know, at the same time, you know, this is a project that's just kind of supposed to be fun. And, it, it, and, and, you know, it's just a creative, it's a creative uh, output, yeah. you know, so it beckons the some of the earlier topics where we were talking about with like Disney, mm-hmm. where like you know, oh, you cancel your Disney Plus subscription because of this, mm-hmm. you know, they're not they're not losing sleep over it, all right. that kind of stuff. Yeah, you, you got to believe that Eon Productions and every other corporation who we obviously respect, minus you know all Daniel Craig decisions, um, you know, we 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 know that they're <laughs> making money. Right, you know, and that's why I think back to like the George Lucas era of Star Wars. Anytime someone wanted to do something Star Wars related, mm-hmm. and you know their legal department went to George Lucas, nine times out of ten, George Lucas was just like, "Yeah, fine, I don't care," you know, like like right. the dude got it. Like I remember sitting uh, seeing a sit down between Lucas. Well, you and, know how many video games remained from the original? Like, he, yeah, didn't he? It's like, yeah, sure, yeah, whatever. Well, he and he and Seth MacFarlane sat down for an interview once, mm-hmm. and and Seth MacFarlane was saying, you know, listen, when we, you know, anytime someone at Family Guy wanted to do something like this, mm-hmm. we always had to have our legal team call your team and say, can we do this? And you came back every time and said, yeah, it's fine, you know. And eventually, it just got to a point where where. You know, we just, you know, assume there was a blanket statement. It's publicity. Exactly. And and yeah. George Lucas came back and said, basically, listen, I I view this as a compliment. I view this as people saying, you know, hey, you know, you've you've made it. You we we really appreciate what you've done. I would be a fool to say no to this. Now, granted, if there's large sums of money trading hands and he's mm-hmm. not getting a cut of that, that's one thing. Well, yeah. You know. But in terms of Family Guy making one cutaway, right? You know, there he's just like this is fine, you know, mm-hmm. and that makes you think like if you know in in terms of like these these mod video games, if mm-hmm. they could say, you know, listen, you know, we're not making you know as long as you can show that you're not making money off of this, we mm-hmm. we're fine with it, right? You know, yeah. So that's that's. And again, we're not trying to get into, and that's sportsmanship. Really, it, it, it really is because because we're trying to say, listen, no, you shouldn't be stealing intellectual property. You mm-hmm. shouldn't be profiting off of other people's ideas without their express written consent and whatnot. Right. Um, but when you're doing something 
you know, that falls really under the category of imitation is the finest form of flattery. Mm-hmm. You know, you 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 really should be looking at it and going, hey, how about that? You know, mm-hmm. um, you know, I would kind of think. I mean, that's how it is in music to a certain degree. Yeah. You know. Except so, if you want something in return. Right. No, that, which, which leads us into our major topic of today, right, yeah. which is transactional sportsmanship. Mm-hmm. Um, Why don't you explain what that is? Yeah, sure. Well, let me let me give a little context first. Um, back when I was in seminary, mm-hmm. okay, one of, the, one of the topics that would be discussed from time to time was the idea that God's love is not transactional. You know, we seem to have this idea in our society, whether it's religious or on the skirts outside of those who, you know, are people of faith, it doesn't really matter, where it's, hey, God, if you do this for me, I'll do this for you. And then when it doesn't happen, they get upset and they say, well, then there is no God. You know, stuff stuff like that. I'm obviously making it very simple, but... We, we seem to have this idea that, you know, it, it, it begs the question of if we pray hard enough, will a miracle occur? And, you know, we tried to really diffuse that argument by saying that's not really how this works. You mm. know, that to, 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 to pray and ask for something. Yeah, okay, we, we, we do believe in the power of prayer, and we do believe in the power of asking for healing and whatnot, but it's more about our own comfort and our own being, being at peace with whatever happens, happens, and knowing that God is in control. Um, that does, you know, we would, I think we would rather sit in a state of unknowing how miracles occur than to think that the love of God and the intervention of God uh, is transactional. You know, it's not like a bank where if I put money in the bank, I can then withdraw that money when I need it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, and and granted, there are times I think when perhaps we can use that analogy. Like if we keep putting our, you know, in in, in spiritual terms, we keep putting our faith in God when we do need that faith. You know, when we need to rely on that faith, that faith is there in said bank because we have reinforced it. But it's not transactional in a way of, "Hey, I did this for you. Can you do this for me?" Mm-hmm. Okay, that kind of that kind of stuff just doesn't always pan out. And and the way that our brains work, you know, we 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 don't quite understand that because we do have a certain level of logic, right? Okay, that 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 we use as human beings, not all the time, but you know, a fair amount of time. So. It's like that. It's like I keep, we keep mentioning Seinfeld, but like the human fun right. episode yeah. where George is like, I bet I can be a philanthropist. I bet I can be a kick ass philanthropist. Exactly. I'd have all this money. People would love me. And they'd, I'd give that, I'd give some to them. And then they'd owe me big time. Exactly. That's not how you run a charity. That's not philanthropy. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> that is the complete antithesis. Right. Um, so the reason we bring all this up is because we've had experiences recently where we have had sportsmanship that has been deemed transactional. And it really begs the question of how we view parts of life as if to say, you give me this, I'll give you that. Like like bargaining and transactions, like obviously that 
you know, we we obviously exchange goods and services for for legal tender in our world. That's how it works. But these intangibles of sportsmanship or faith or whatever don't always follow the same logic. Mm-hmm. And the example that I gave Sean earlier that kind of led to this was I was working a baseball game uh, last weekend, and to give you the context on this, I had worked I had worked this team the weekend prior as well in a scrimmage, and this this was a, a twelve year old team, so they're playing on the fifty seventy field, which is not as small as the little league field, but not as big as your standard baseball field. Mm-hmm. And the kids that they this one team were bringing in after like the second or third inning, they were throwing heat. They were throwing BBs at a you know like 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 they don't need to be at the twelve year old. They they can be playing up a little bit. And the catchers that they put back there were not equipped to handle that. Okay, the best way I can describe it is when the when the pitch would come in and the catcher's mitt would receive the pitch. The catcher's mitt would not always stop the trajectory of the ball. The ball would actually take the catcher's mitt backwards in the breaking process. Mm-hmm. And the mitt would move so much that you think, is the mitt going to fall off this kid's hand? Right. Okay? Now, as an umpire, when you're behind the plate and you're watching pitches come in, the reception of pitches what sometimes they call framing, which I think is kind of a poor term, uh, makes a difference. Because when you when you receive a pitch properly, that can be the difference in a split second of telling me whether or not the pitch is a ball or a strike. If that pitch comes in on the outside corner and you receive it properly, you stick that pitch that hits the mitt, and the mitt doesn't have to move, all that stuff, I'm more likely to ring that pitch up as a strike. Whereas if the mitt moves significantly outside, inside, whatever, in that split second, you're telling me the pitch was not a strike and you had to move the mitt to in, make, it look, to make like. it look like a strike, mm-hmm. okay? That's the general way that it works. So anyway, these kids were these kids were throwing heat and the catchers were not receiving. Like, one kid in particular was throwing pitches that were probably right on the outside corner. But I swear to you, the, 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 the catcher was butchering the reception. And at the time that I first saw this kid in the scrimmage, this was the first time I was seeing pitches all year. This mm-hmm. was my first scrimmage of the year as, as we begin the season. And I'm like, great, I'm starting off this way. Mm-hmm. You know, I got to see pitches normally before I can, you know. Right. So I'm calling a lot of these pitches balls and who, who, I, who I would later learn is the kid's father starts yapping at me. There it is. You know, especially when it was really cold this particular day. And, you know, you let it, you let it roll off your shoulders in a scrimmage Mm -hmm. and whatnot, whatever. It's not that big of a deal. So then the next weekend comes around and I I have the plate again. And this team is right back out there. And the, the, this team is losing like 14 to three in the fourth inning. And they're the home team. So they got to play the top of the fourth and then the bottom of the fourth. And if the score holds, it's over due to the 10 run rule. So in the top of the fourth, they bring in the same kid. And I'm thinking to myself, you're down 11 runs. Mm-hmm. Why are you bringing in your flamethrower now? doesn't make any right. stupid sense, especially when you're in this tournament where there's a pitch counter and stuff like that. But whatever. Right. Sure enough, the same thing happens. And the kid is, you know, trying to nibble on the outside corner and these catchers are not doing any favors. Right. Okay. And after the kid walks a kid or two, 
the you know the 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 dad starts yelling again, and now I take my mask off and I go over and I say enough, and he starts yapping at me. I was talking to my pitcher. It's like I don't care. Stop it. Just stop. So then he comes back with the hey, I had my catcher go out and give you time when you got hit in the mask last inning. And there it is. Right. Because the common courtesy mm-hmm. is that, you know, if, if between a catcher and an umpire, if someone takes a pitch or a foul ball off of you, whatever, the other person goes out and talks to the pitcher or whatnot to give the guy, you know, a moment to kind of mm-hmm. collect his thoughts and regain his bearings and whatnot. And I had taken a pitch right off my mask. And the mask did its job. You know, you're, you're mm-hmm. a little, like, shaken up, but you're not concussed. You're not in pain. Mm-hmm. So th- so they gave me a... You know, the catcher goes out and gives me a couple of seconds to kind of chill out and whatnot. We're good to go. So now, in the in the current moment, this guy is saying, essentially... I told my catcher to go out and give you a minute or two. Why are you now yelling at me? Because mm-hmm. I should be able to complain about pitches. Right. My my courtesy gives me carte blanche. To now treat you however I want to. Yep. Right. And that's where I realized, I said, no, no. Sportsmanship is not transactional. Hmm. Just like, you know, they say like no good deed goes unpunished. All yep. this, you know, like... Just because you hold a door for someone doesn't mean that they're going to return the favor. Doesn't right. mean that they now they have to be nice to you. Right. Okay. Um, because you don't know what's going on in that mind of that other person. Yeah. It would be nice if they were nice to you, obviously, right. you know, depending upon the circumstances. Sure. But there's no guarantee. Mm-hmm. Maybe those pitches are really off the plate, you know? What am I supposed to give you a strike that's two inches outside because you know, your catcher did the quote unquote right thing, mm-hmm. you know, that's, right. that's not, that's not how this works. No. You know, maybe before you start complaining, maybe the better thing to do is say, Hmm, why is he not giving me those pitches? Does he, does he have it out? From, does he sit at home thinking, ah, I can't wait to get this guy. Or mm-hmm. maybe there's something else going on. Right. And in this case, and what's funny is that the, the other team, that was playing that team noticed this. And then in the next game, I had the other team again. Okay. And the coach for the one team comes up to me and he starts asking me questions about it. And now I'm working the bases for this other game. So I said to him, I said to him, coach, I'm going to tell you straight out how it was, even though it doesn't really concern you because you're politely asking. What, what they didn't seem to understand was that the reception of those pitches were terrible. If that catcher sets up on the outside corner and doesn't move his mitt, when that pitch comes in, that's a strike all day probably. But regardless of this is the fact that this is only the second time all season that I'm seeing live pitches. Right. You know, which doesn't help or hurt or doesn't help here. Mm-hmm. But, <clears throat> you know, you just want, you know, it, I said I said to the coach, the, the, the thing that I appreciate is the fact that you're taking the time to ask me about it rather than this other guy who's just yelling at me about it, mm-hmm. you know? And then there was another situation later in that second game where a similar thing happened when I was on the bases. And during a you know a stoppage in play, another coach came up to me and asked me about it. And I said, "Here's what happened. You know, I, I saw it this way. Blah 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 blah." But you know, and he asked me because he goes, "Well, I teach it this way." And I said, "No, you're right to teach it that way. I'm just telling you the reason that I called it the way that I did was because of X, Y, and Z. You're doing everything right. You know, so it really wasn't 
anybody's fault. It was just a small miscommunication mm -hmm. based upon whatever, you know, and, you know, and I said, what was the play? The play was, so there was a foul ball. I was on, I was in the C position. So I'm behind the pitcher on the third base side. There's a runner on second foul ball. So the pitcher gets the ball back and he goes to get back on the rubber and he looks like he's starting to go from the windup. Okay. Then he stops and he goes into the stretch. Oh, so that's a bulk. So so the third base coach is looking at me going, hey, that's a bulk. Isn't that a bulk? Well, I let it go because the home plate umpire had not yet put the ball back into play. Oh. Because the, a foul ball is a dead ball. And right. you don't put the ball back into play until the pitcher's on the rubber, the catcher's in his spot, and the batter's in his spot. And then the umpire will, will point and say, play. So I went to him. Oh. So he comes out to me and goes, well, why wasn't that a balk? And I said, because the, the ump I did not have the home plate umpire putting that ball back into play yet. So therefore, I'm not calling that ball. Interesting. And he said, well, he's, he, he goes, well, we, we teach our kids that when they see that and the guy's going from the windup, he should be running because it's obvious. You know, and I said, you're, you're absolutely right in that you should be teaching that. You're doing everything correct. You know? So, so it was literally just, you know, a situational thing where, mm -hmm. you know, you saw one thing and I saw another thing because I'm waiting for my partner to put the ball back. He in was the focused foot. on the picture. He wasn't looking at the umpire. Exactly. And he right. said, oh, okay. And I, and I, and I'd start a conversation with him saying, you know, it's funny is that we talk about that a lot in our umpire groups where we say, listen, this is how important it is to put the ball back into play because of this, that, blah, 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 blah. And he mm -hmm. says, you're absolutely right. And from then on out, it was smooth sailing. Right. You know, and I just, cause it was just. Uh, yes, it's a professional courtesy, but it's it's saying, you know, I'm trying to explain to you why I saw it the way that I saw it. And, you know, you're not wrong mm -hmm. in saying what you saw. It's just that your vision is here. My vision is here. It is what it is. You know, in some way, shape or form, it's almost. That's almost like a positive transaction. Yes. Yeah, you because know, there's two types of transactional sportsmanships, right? Where one is like the example that we always use is with the catcher who sees a borderline catches a borderline pitch and go says to the umpire, where did you see that? Yeah. Just out of curiosity, just setting up that line yeah. of communication. Yeah. The umpire is more likely to treat you is, is more, more yeah. respectfully. And, and, you know, not to say that he shouldn't either way, but right. the point is that, you're opening up that line of communication, that dialogue, yeah. and that fosters a positive relationship. Right. Right. Where the negative part would be like, well, um, you know, I was taking all these bad calls from you um, and we did, we did you a favor by not hassling you. Yeah. Why can't you give us this one? Right. Because now they're expecting, they're expecting, something almost tangible right. in return, an action in return, whereas just where as the first example is just a positive feeling between the and, two parties. And when a catcher says that to me, like if a catcher does that and turns and turns to me and goes, Do you have that outside? And I said, I had that out. More often than not, especially if it's like a varsity game, you know what I might say back to him? Did you have that as right on the corner? And he goes, I, I thought it might be on the corner. Then I'll turn back to him and I'll say, "Okay, I'll take a better look at that next time." And then there it is. And then and now you might, you're more likely to give it. Now to him. all of a sudden he's saying, "You know, I thought it had the corner, but it's your call that matters." And if you're going to tell me you'll take a better look at it. now, if I see that pitch again, I'm thinking, "Okay, that's probably a strike. Maybe I missed it." Yep. You know, it's it's you know the the, the dialogue that occurs in that way mm -hmm. is. 
you know, you, you catch more flies with honey than vinegar. You right. know, it's yep. it's it's that simple. Yeah, it is really that simple. Because now, if I got a coach yelling at me from the dugout about a pitch, it's almost as it's almost as if you like you announce it like right. you should be doing this for me. That's the point where it becomes bad. Right. Like it, it's almost like the spontaneity and the anonymity of it, where you stay quiet and just do the right thing. Right. Is is much better, obviously. Well, they say that in baseball all the time, where as long as you're not showing an umpire up, you know, you can have the conversation. You know, like we like the the, the common example always is when a batter doesn't like a, a, a the call on a strike, and then he takes the end of his bat and he draws a line in the other batter's box and says that's where that pitch was. What you're doing is physically showing up the umpire. That's an automatic ejection. Right. There's no no if ands or buts about it. Right. You know. Now, if a batter doesn't like the call and then he turns around to the umpire and he says, "No, no, no I kind of thought that was outside." You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, or where'd you have that? I had it outside. You know, like I'm more mm-hmm. likely to say, like, I, it was right on the corner, man. It's a pretty darn good pitch. You know, mm-hmm. and then he might say, "Okay," you know, and you know, rather than rather than do this testosterone-driven, right. you know, macho man thing. I have to have the final word, you right. know. It's, you know, it's that's that's what causes these conflicts. Right. You know, if we stop with this transactional stuff like that and and learn to communicate better, mm-hmm. you, you eliminate so many problems. Right. It's really not rocket science. No. Yeah, it's like... Um... You know, it's like when you donate to a charity and you get uh, your write-off. Yeah. <laughs> they just write it off. They just write it off. You don't even know what a write-off is. Do, do you? you? No. Well, they, they do. And they're, they're the, the ones, ones who writing write it, it off. off. Yeah. <laughs> but like, you know, my, my point is that <clears throat> when you do the right thing, I be- you know, I believe in karma. It is a very real thing. You know, if you do the right thing, you get rewarded for it. Yeah. Maybe not in a tangible way. Maybe not in a really, you know, uh, I mean, I guess on your taxes, you would be you would be rewarded. Yeah, but, yeah. But, but that's not coming from the charity. That's no. coming from the government. Right. So, I mean, you know, it's it's incentivizing people to give, which is almost... I don't know how I feel about that because, in a way, that's like, why do we have to incentivize people to give? Well, you know why? Because I, I understand what you're saying. <laughs> you know, like we should, people should that, be doing that already. That comes already. down to that comes down to capitalism, mm-hmm. you know, and and we have have determined that it's you know it, this is the best system for us, mm-hmm. you know, and and sure enough, it works. You know, it, it's kind of the whole thing of well, it's better to let a guilty man go free than put an innocent man in prison. Mm-hmm. You know, there you know, it, there's just certain things where you know, I always use, and this is my feeling. This is only in my opinion. This does not reflect Sean. This does not reflect OSIP or anybody. Okay? If you listen to our disclaimer. Right, exactly. <laughs> like, I always feel that healthcare cannot be universal because of how we are a capitalist society. And, and you know, it would be great if we could find a way to make universal healthcare work. But because we live in a capitalist society where the almighty dollar and said transactions mean something, you know, it's very difficult to have a foot in both pools. I'm not saying that it's, you know, 
morally wrong because mm-hmm. I think I think in a perfect world that would be what the solution should be. But unfortunately, we just have not yet found the way. I think there's a way. I, I'm, I'm I'm not saying that there isn't a way. Yeah, I'm just saying at this moment in with time, everything we know, with everything that we yeah. know, you know, because because it's about incentive. Mm-hmm. It's about incentive. You know, doctors in a universal system don't have necessarily the same incentive to perform the services needed to get the paychecks that they need right now. Mm-hmm. And again, we're not I'm not going to get into this because that gets into conversations about insurance <laughs> and then you know that's they a need that's to a, have their, you know, three times a week golf outing. Obviously. Let's go. Yeah, I mean that's Come what on. we have. <laughs> what is this amateur night? Let's get the game here. Yeah, you know multiple courses. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. municipal <laughs> Um, munis. <laughs> I see what you did there. Um, you know, but but the, 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 when it comes back to those, the incentivizing the giving, mm-hmm. that's why I think it is the way that it is. And we do need to have, you know, there does need to be a, a, a reason to motivate people to do that. And our entire tax system in a certain way is built around that, mm-hmm. you know, because if you look at the number of things that you can deduct depending upon your line of work, you know, when I do my taxes, geez, oh man, I've got Schedule C's coming out of my butt because of the number of things mm-hmm. that I've got going on. And you just look at what you can deduct and it's just, you know, your taxes are like, man, you lost a lot of money this year. And you're like, yeah, but I paid a lot of bills too, mm-hmm. you know, right. so I'm doing right. okay. Right. Um, you know, in terms of um, karma, as you as you were getting to, you know, mm-hmm. I, 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 you know, and I'm only speaking on this as someone who was in seminary, you know, mm-hmm. there there is a... You know, a, a, a belief that the positive vibes that you give out, whether it's through good karma or just through your attitude and your being, whatever. I mean, there there is um, there is certain scientific studies are showing now that those types of positive things could potentially be making a difference. You know, I psychologically, think, yes. I, I remember think I, I cannot for the life of me remember the study, the instance. I just heard about this in a in a in a sermon once mm. um, where there was a there was a story of two twins who were born prematurely and one was pretty healthy and one was not. Mm-hmm. And they weren't sure if the the one that was not healthy was going to live. And they put the healthy one in the crib next to the unhealthy one. And all of a sudden, for reasons they couldn't explain, that positive energy hmm. of having the healthy kid next to the unhealthy one gave the other, you know, wore off on the other kid. And now they're both totally healthy. Hmm. You know, again, I you do we want to classify that as science, as religion? I don't know. The point I'm trying to make is that, you know, there, there I believe that there is something to what you are describing as good karma, mm-hmm. where you know when you when you give off that positive vibe, which we can see in sportsmanship and whatnot, you're you're gonna get something back. Mm-hmm. You know, the universe works in a strange way that we don't quite understand, but we can kind of see that from time to time. You know, whether you want to call it faith or what, you know, I, I you know, I I see it that way. Mm-hmm. It's it's very difficult to define. It's it's not an absolute, you know. And and the well, rules, there's so many intervening variables. Right. The the rules of it are, you know, you might you might put out good karma now, and you might not see that karma come back for ten years. Right. You know, I look at that in terms of, you know, when I got that gig at Kutztown, you know, in mm-hmm. 2013, 
I did one thing. I went over to Kutztown and met somebody once, you know, and picked their brain. And then the job posting comes across my desk and I get the job because of that. Mm-hmm. And that was in 2019. Right. You know, you're like, because I did one thing that, that did this, you know, like that, that's sometimes how this works. Right. You know, so in terms of sportsmanship, when you, when you use positive vibes in your quote unquote transactions, you're more likely to see the return on your investment. Yep. You know, yep. if you, when you, when you think of it as transactional, you know, as in I did this, I deserve that. Right. You you don't always. Especially if you make people aware of it. Yeah. Right. So if it's something that you're not, if it's something you're not really thinking about. Right. Right. And the natural, I guess, reciprocation of, of, I don't want to say transaction, but the natural reciprocation of the action yeah. that comes from treating someone with respect is much different than pointing it out, right? And saying, "Well, I did this for you," in a, in in the hopes that you return, return the, the favor, favor in some way, yeah. right? So that's you know, I always think of it as like, and and again, I don't want to go back to the masks, but. It's, I don't think it's a, it's not a courtesy yeah. to wear a mask in front of someone who you don't know anything about if they're making it mandatory. Right. <laughs> right. It, it It's, you know, it's like if you hold the door open for some, like if you hold, you should hear someone behind you and you walk into a 7-Eleven or a yeah. Wawa, you hold the door open for them. Because you're choosing to do that. Right. That's a courtesy, right? If someone asks you to hold the door open for them, that's no longer a courtesy. That's a request. That's a request. Yeah. And, the, and the response to that is the favor. Right. Right? So if you know, we take that, if we, look at, if we look at it in terms of like wearing the mask for someone, if other people are telling you to do it, that's not a courtesy that's anymore. No, yeah, there's no, now, yeah. that's, a, that's a requirement. Yeah. The, this whole idea of a transaction takes on a totally it's different not, meaning right. at that point. Now, if you're choosing to do it by yourself, knowing that the person is uh, knowing that the person is you know immunocompromised, then okay, yeah, well, that's that's a different story. That's a different story. You know, then you and you're doing it because and when there's no mandate, right, right. So yeah, the the, the door opening thing is a great great example you know i can think of times where you hold the door open for someone and they just take advantage of you they don't say thank you they don't do this they don't you know and i think it's very natural for us to be like geez you couldn't even say thank you right you know and you you know because you're thinking to yourself like well this should be trans transactional shouldn't it you're like Mm -hmm. well no you didn't have to hold the door open for me you know but you do it just because it's the right thing to do Right. And then at that point, it's like, you know what? Well, then that says more about that person who doesn't say thank you or, does, you know, mm-hmm. but you keep it to yourself. Right. You know? Right. And you think to yourself, well, maybe there's another reason this is going on. You know, that's the other thing is we seem to forget that, you know, we we, we, we project ourselves onto these other people when we think that this stuff is transactional. You know, well, I did this for you. If I were in your shoes, I would do this in return for you. You don't know what's going on in that right. other person's exactly. head. Exactly. 
you know? Yep. You know, if, if you hold the door for someone and they forget to say thank you, you don't, maybe their parent just died for crying out loud. Right. Maybe this happened, maybe that, you know, maybe they're having a maybe bad Maybe they're just day. introverted. Exactly. Whatever the case may be, <laughs> yeah. you know, that you don't know mm-hmm. and you're going to just judge them and say, ah, screw that guy. He doesn't understand, right. you know? You know, and you know what? Internally, it's allowed to frustrate you. Mm-hmm. You're allowed to to say like, "Geez, you couldn't even say thank you." You know, but to to verbally say like, you know, a thank you would have been nice. Yeah, you know, it's like, right? You don't, you don't, you know, you don't know the guy. You don't right. know what's going on in his or her life. Right. You know? Yeah. So, so I guess the 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 moral of this story is, you know. Everyone's fighting a battle. Yeah. And, you know, you should be doing something out of the kindness of your heart or even, but well, actually by me saying you should do this, do something that's that's almost like I'm forcing you to do it. Yeah. You use your best judgment to make an informed decision about making the right call, but don't, you know, live your life in a way where you're, you're doing it to not think so much about it, just doing it as an, as an, it's a natural niceness. Thing. Because I'll tell you this too, you know, I think that the overwhelming majority of human beings have that ingrained in them, you know? And I say that because, you know, you sit down with somebody and whatnot and, you know, they might talk smack about X, Y, and Z, and then you put them in the situation and they just can't do it, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so, I think that most people are ingrained to do that naturally. And that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but some people aren't. Right. For whatever reason. Yeah. You know, and and it's a very, very gray subject. I think, I think the most that we can say is that, circumstantially speaking... Don't be an asshole. That's probably very true. That's probably the best way to say it. <laughs> I couldn't have said it better. <laughs> Don't be that guy, okay? Right, yeah. Don't just don't do it. Right. You know? Um we're not we're not going to, you know, this isn't a lab experiment where we're going to take the take different people as subjects and dissect them psychologically and figure right. out well, what's going on in that guy's, you know. Right. Like like I could think like I I think about the coach in that situation that I just had that I that I explained and I'm thinking mm-hmm. to myself, when he goes home at night, is he the nicest guy in the world? And is he, you know, like, like, is it, is it just that for whatever reason, when he's on the ball field and his son is pitching is when he turns into a jerk? Right. Is that all it is? You know, because then it's like, well, then this guy has been conditioned to either protect his son or Mm -hmm. thinks that officials are the problem, whatever the case may be. You know, we, we just, we just don't know. Right. And at most what we can say is when, when that guy verbalized it to me in a transactional way. That was a no-no. Yep. That's the most that I think we can say. Right. Just you know, if you want, walk to the other end of the dugout and think, you know, that's the last time I tell my kid to go out and do the right thing. Something mm-hmm. like, that. you know what? Fine. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't hear it. Hear it. You're, you want to mumble under your breath, whatever. Fine. Mm-hmm. Fine. I can't stop you from doing that. Right. But what I can do is say, please don't talk to me that way. Yeah. I know you're talking to me. I know you're upset sportsmanship is not transactional right you know yep we see it you see it all the time too in in music yeah you know you you know you want to tell any stories about that i 
Or would you rather not? I that's I, I think or well, that turn into what, a whole nother episode. What, yeah, <laughs> I mean one 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 example I can think of is uh, um, a parent a few years ago with a lesson that I do on my own, uh, in home lesson, um, was following the contract and said, okay, well, I know that it's twenty four hours before like less than 24 hours i'm going to pay for the lesson i'm like well well yeah because that, that's, that's the way it, yeah. yeah and then the next week they had to miss again and they're like well we gave it to you last week can you give it to us us this week yeah like no and i was like that's not the way it works yeah. like you sign this contract where if it's before if it's between the st- 24 hours before the start time you can't, yeah. I'm sorry. Like it would almost be, you know, the, the reverse could be true, mm-hmm. but then again, you're doing a courtesy and you're actually setting an example right. where you're saying, listen, you know, I'll, I have some flexibility on my legal contract. And this is right. like the and legal the, system doesn't always work that way. Right. And the contract is to protect you both legally, yeah. but to also make sure that you're on the same page. Exactly. You know, and, and I'll give you actually, I got another one too. Right. Like so, a parent paid for multiple lessons at once for their multiple children, and I give a discount for that. Okay, because it's they're all in the same house. It's you don't have to travel extra, right? You're and all they have there. the same yeah. time set time each week. Yeah, and after they scheduled the lessons, they wanted to cancel one of them, and I said, well, if it's for something that's within your control. I can't give that to you right. because kids I, sick. That's a different story, right? Or if there's an emergency of some kind, yeah. But going to a wedding is something you should have known about before scheduling your lessons. Correct. So unfortunately, I can't give that to you. Just yeah. Like, well, I don't understand. We've been following the contract all this time. I'm like, right, but until now, exactly. Now <laughs> and, is when you've decided you know, not to follow. So, yeah. so, so I said. So I'm like, well, you still owe me. For that time. I mean, yeah. you're paying for my time at that point. Right. You could use that time however you'd like. I mean, preferably for the piano lesson. Right. But, that would be the best thing. But to but you're, if you schedule in advance, I build my schedule around those who schedule in advance. Right. Right. So you're leaving me a hole in my schedule. You, unfortunately, you do have to pay for that. Right. Right. You know, so. You're paying for this convenience of scheduling that far in advance. Right. If you don't want that, you pay the higher rate and to go do it week, weekly. Week, week yep. to week. Yep. Not so, rocket science. Right. So, um, yeah, but I mean, she eventually paid me, but it was, you know, the biggest deal was made to make, make it seem like I was the problem. Yeah. But anyway, but um, yeah, transactional sportsmanship can apply to multiple, multiple, um, Multiple situations. I got a I got a good teaser too. Okay. Because I got a story about this, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to tell it now. Okay. It's going to go on our blog. Okay. Okay. We restarted our blog at OSIP this mm-hmm. calendar year, and our and the new post comes out usually around the 28th of each month for the next month. Okay. Okay. Sean just wrote one. Mm-hmm. I wrote one. Uh, our COO, Caitlin, wrote one, mm-hmm. and our VP of Publicity, Mark, wrote one. Mm-hmm. And Mark and I try and write, you know, two out of every three. So so Caitlin had one, and then you had one. So mm-hmm. I got another one coming up. And I don't know if it's going to be for uh, May or June, but one of those two months will be a blog post from me 
that deals exactly with this. Oh, good. Okay. So, so you, you so you're Hang gonna tight. Want, you're gonna want to excuse me, pay attention to mm. the blog, which is at which is called the Strike Zone. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's on osafoundation.org, and you can you can see it. it I, I think it posts on. I know it posts on Twitter. Um, I'm, I got to check this, and then I think I I set it up on our like scheduled posts to post on. Is other it on things. Facebook? It's on, should be on Facebook. Okay, it should yeah. be on should be on LinkedIn. Um, might even be on Instagram. Right. You know, but it comes out, and mm-hmm. you know, great stories. Good. You know, so I I highly encourage everyone stay ready. For that, okay. you're gonna. You know, maybe this is bad sportsmanship in the media by doing the teaser. Mm-hmm. Okay, <laughs> but I'm not teasing well, it's it. Business. It's business. Yeah, and, yeah. and I'm not. I'm not teasing it in a way as if to say, "Oh, you gotta tune in." Like mm-hmm. you know, you know, have we found the cure for this disease, or do we have to keep working? Story at eleven. Right. You know, like like that's that's that would be poor sportsmanship. Right. I'm t- all I'm doing is saying I got a great story about this, okay. and I encourage everyone if you want to. You know, know the story. You got to check out the blog within the next two months. Good. Your life is not going to change other than that. Okay. <laughs> okay. Trust me on this. All right. If it does, it'll change for the positive. Right. Because that's positive sports. Material. There it is. Well, Sean, is the well dry? <laughs> yes. Should I end the episode now? Yes. Are we praying? I'm praying with my fingers crossed. Well, Sean, thank you very much. <laughs> Maybe, 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 yeah, screw it. Okay. (laughs) Let me just drag this on and make this as long as possible. That's what she said. Okay. Uh, OSAFoundation.org. Yes. Podcast at OSAFoundation.org if you want to get in touch with the show. Yep. Facebook.com slash OSAFoundation. Yep. Twitter and Instagram at OSAFoundation. Hashtag how you play the game. Yes. Select episodes on YouTube. Awesome. Uh, Bonfire has our apparel store, which you can also get through our website. Great. Book is available on Amazon, on Sportsmanship, a critical reader and handbook, in hardcover, paperback, and Kindle. <laughs> this is a long ending. Go ahead. That's what she said. <laughs> we'll talk to everybody in a couple weeks. Okay. Until then. Yes. Watch out for allergies. Okay. And treat each other with respect. How You Play the Game is a production of the OSIP Foundation, Incorporated. The producer engineer of this episode is Sean Ryan. Music by SoundSpring Studio. The executive producer of How You Play the Game is Jack Furlong. For more information, visit osafoundation.org.